Welcome to Advent Christian Voices with the Renewed Church Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Reynolds, and I'm joined by the illustrious Justin Nash, Director of Church Health at ACGC. How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing great, Eric. How are you today, man? I'm good, thanks. Hey, we uh, this is a podcast. This is our first one. Um, the purpose of our podcast is, uh, is to seek, or, or we're seeking to lead the discussion while providing practical advice on church health among Advent Christian churches. We have... Um, one podcast today, which we're going to cover uh, five questions regarding church health. Uh, the first, the idea of church health is extremely subjective. Second, church size is not necessarily an indicator of church health. Church health is not synonymous with church growth. You need a standard by which to measure church health, and every church has some unhealth. So, Justin, let's uh, let's start off with the first question. Um the idea of church health is extremely subjective. What do we mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is you get uh, 12 pastors in a room and you ask them what church health is and you get 14 different answers. Mm. Uh, church, everybody has a different understanding of what it means to be healthy as a church. And, and it's been my experience that a lot of people, church leaders, pastors, they really think, hey, my church is pretty healthy without having a, a real clear understanding of what that means. When you say church health and when I say church health and when someone else says church health, it, we can mean completely different things. And so it's, it's really a subjective way of, of just trying to define something that's not always helpful when we're trying to, to discern whether a church is healthy or not. So, Justin, for the sake of our podcast, when we use the term church health, uh, what do you mean by that? Yeah, that's a great question that I was afraid you were going to ask. Um, I, I think as I've thought about it a little bit, even as I think of my definitions, there there's some subjectivity to them. For instance, I think a healthy church is a church who makes that makes disciples, who make disciples, who impact their community. Well, then you have okay. Well, then suddenly we have two kind of subjective. Uh, terms in there. We have disciples. Well, what's a disciple? And then that's a whole different rabbit trail trying to define that. I also tend to think in church health in terms of, of kind of John 15 healthy, mm. uh, bearing fruit. Yeah. But again, even the fruit bearing in John 15, the fruit is the evidence of health. It's not the cause of the health. And if we look more more deeply at that, the cause of the fruit bearing there is is abide, is the abiding in Christ. So I tend to think of a healthy church as one that abides in Christ, that bears fruit, and that fruit is disciples who make disciples who impact the community. That's how I tend to think about it. But I'm sure it'd probably be some pushback from people, maybe some of the finer points, maybe all that all together. I think generally that's a pretty good definition. It's a lot better than than the one that I have. Um, although I think like when we define disciples, um, I think at least for the purpose of what we're talking about today, it's probably beneficial to say a, a disciple is someone who is um, joyfully obedient to Christ in all that he commands us to do and is, and is growing um, and, and is seeking the Lord in all things. I just, to me, that would be a healthy, healthy disciple. And I think that, aligns with what you're talking about in John 15, bearing healthy fruit, um, because healthy fruit would not only uh, see us uh, be making disciples, but also see the fruits of repentance and faith in our lives and in which uh, go along with uh, joyful obedience. My definition for a healthy church is a healthy church is centered on glorifying Christ, living intentionally on mission and are dedicated to casting aside preferences and comforts for biblical obedience. Um, yeah. 
Yeah, I just think one one point I I guess just when we say a healthy church, what we don't mean is a perfect church because mm. there's no such thing. And I think a lot of times that that can be a little intimidating when we talk about church health. Well, our church is not perfect, and that's not what we're saying at all. I think one of the keys you hit on when you're talking about disciples is that aspect of growing, that sort of continuing with sanctification or however you want to phrase it. I think that should be true in the life of a church as well. It's about that forward motion, that forward progress. To me, that's a key indicator of health. Mm. It's not necessarily so much where you are, although that's a part of it, but it's where you're headed and where you're Mm. moving. And so I think that forward motion is a good indicator of church health as well. That's a good point. Well, I think uh, I think if we apply some of the principles to the church that we see uh, Jesus with his disciples, uh, you know, when he was teaching his disciples, there were some things that were very difficult for them to grasp. Right. When he says, come and follow me and, and you must uh, essentially uh, cast aside your family for the sake of Christ, they must be nothing to you compared to our love for Christ. I think that using that that same principle, a healthy church is probably a church that um might struggle to recognize certain things, but is willing to say, to put everything out on the table and say, yeah, you know, if we feel convicted by Christ and we have uh, those who are instructing us and leading us that we will, we might struggle with some things, but man, if we really believe Christ is in it, we will submit our preferences and um, our own comforts, cast those aside for the sake of the church, for the sake of the body of Christ, not the building, but the rest of the body and seeing others come into that body. Yeah, I, I heard a, I heard a, a great quote about the disciples yesterday from Ben Witherington. Um, it said they they were the duh disciples um, <laughs> because you know they're a little they're a little bit slow, and uh, I think that's the way we are too as well. Though we that we sort of again it's it's progressive our our growth, and sometimes it's fits and starts. Sometimes we'll see our churches move forward very rapidly, and other times it almost feels like they they step back. And I think we see that in the disciples and their relationship with Jesus pre-Pentecost. Now I think it's a little different after that. But so so again, we even see in the disciples this sort of constant, continual, progressive understanding and growth. Because it, at first they weren't really. I mean, they walked away from everything, but their their willingness to surrender everything really their lack of that surrender became pretty apparent you know especially during the the whole arrest and crucifixion so so yeah i I think that putting aside preferences though is is the key what you're talking about in church health but how incredible is it you see the disciples go from you know peter denying christ even though he said he wouldn't and you see them all scatter and then uh, you read through the book of Acts and through church history, we understand how many of the dis- all of the disciples are martyred. Even John, who lives after he was essentially supposed to be martyred, um, th- there we see that progression where they didn't really understand what Christ had come to do and were so frightened. And then I think, as you hit on Pentecost, we see a change in how the Holy Spirit uh, operates in his role. And then we see that in the life of the believer. So like us, I think, um, because we now are kind of under that that church umbrella that we see the Holy Spirit working in post-Pentecost, that, you know, early on in our faith, we might not necessarily be willing to go and die for the faith. But ultimately, there might be a time in our lives that uh, in the church that we'd say, yeah, we might have to go the under underground and be f- in fear 
of persecution and death, like many of our brothers and sisters across the world. Um, and a lot of that comes from the work of the Holy Spirit. You know, it's uh, in our minds, in our in our American minds, we go, it's unfathomable for many of us to understand what they go through. But anyway, move, moving on to our second question, I think we beat that one uh, down pretty good, but we could probably spend 30 minutes on it. Um, but moving on, church size is not necessarily an indicator of church health. What do we mean by that, Justin? Well, I think a lot of times uh, people say, oh, it's a big church, so it must be a healthy church. Mm. And there's not a direct correlation between size and health. I mean, we I think we could all probably name churches that are pretty large that we would think were unhealthy by all kinds of different standards. Mm-hmm. And, and on the reverse side of a small church is not necessarily an unhealthy church. Um, so, but, but so often in, in our mindset, that's how we equate things because we, we like quantifiable metrics. We like obvious metrics. And so we say, Oh, we have a bunch of people. We have plenty of money. Therefore our church is healthy mm-hmm. or we don't have very many people. We don't have very much money. So our church must not be healthy. Mm-hmm. Now growth can be an indicator of health, but it's not necessarily an indicator of health. That's what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's important. Uh, you know, I, when I was thinking about this question or this statement, it brought to mind the Corinthian church, which uh, by m- contextually, many historians would say that the Corinthian church uh, was fairly large. Uh, yet it misunderstood Paul's admonitions and teachings. They included the individuals in their congregation that continued in grave sexual sin, even after coming to faith. And not only that, but they were proud of it, which, uh, which Paul reprimands them for in first Corinthians, uh, coming to mind, you know, there's a podcast I listened to, uh, seemingly, you know, with a pastor and an elder, you and I, I think have talked about the podcast before. Um, but they, I think have a membership of maybe two to 300 people, which in our, in our context is, is a large church, but I know outside of our denomination, you know, I came from an, another denomination where two to 300 people, uh, was, you know, a small to mid-sized church. And, uh, and they share in that, that tradition, but, uh, they have two to 300 people. They have very biblical, uh, eldership, a concept of biblical eldership. Um, they're confessional. Uh, they adhere to the 1689 London Baptist confession. They, uh, are planting churches. Their uh, leadership development is incredible. Uh, they are raising people up in their own local context and sending them out as missionaries and pastors. But they're also bringing in other people who are looking to be raised up as leaders, and they're sending them out as well. And then you have other churches. Uh, I remember being in a church of well over a thousand people, no biblical understanding of of uh, eldership or leadership, uh, very attractional in nature. Um, there wasn't a biblical membership, so there was no church discipline going on. Uh, so you have a lot of these spiritual orphans who come into the church and aren't getting a lot of growth. They just kind of come once a week and, you know, maybe they serve, maybe they don't, but their, their spiritual life is really a mess. So, um, and that's a church of over a thousand. So, and I know of uh, even churches, in, you know, in my neck of the woods that, you know, you have 20, 30 people, but they're, they're working towards a good understanding of biblical theology. Uh, they have a good understanding of biblical leadership, and they're striving to remain joyfully obedient and seek what the Lord has and are sharing the gospel with their neighborhoods and whatnot. And um, so it doesn't really matter how big your church is to be healthy. 
Right. And but I think something that's particularly in our context where a lot of our churches are are smaller, over half our churches are less than fifty people. And but there's also a danger there of wearing your smallness as a sign of pride and and healthiness you're like oh we're being faithful which is why we're so small we're not selling out like the big church down the street and you again it's not a size is not is not necessarily an indicator of health you can be incredibly unhealthy the 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 phrase that i hear a lot is oh we're just being faithful Mm -hmm. well faithful maybe you are maybe you aren't i mean a lot of times we're just being faithful means we're continuing to do things the way the way we've always done things for the last 100 years because we're comfortable with it and and we're and and if people aren't showing up then well that's on them but we're being faithful and so their smallness really is an indicator of some some serious unhealth what going back to what you mentioned earlier laying aside preferences and these different things so i think it can go both ways we can say oh a big church is healthy because it's big that's not necessarily true. But on the flip side, a small church is not necessarily healthy because it's small either. Mm-hmm. It's It can be a symptom of health, but it's it's not really a, a, a true indicator of whether you're healthy or not. It's just the point of this whole thing. Yeah, I think, you know, what we, uh, you know, we're always so concerned about selling out, right? And we're concerned that other people are going to sell out or we're going to sell out. And uh, I think oftentimes we're concerned with what other people are going to think about us, you know, uh, on us selling out. But I think I think of this, we shouldn't sacrifice our theology. And I think these podcasts that we're going to be doing, we're going to talk about a lot of practical things. uh, But ultimately, we should never sacrifice our theology and what we believe the Bible says. So, um, you know, I, I believe in the regulative principle so far as. Um, it gives us a guideline of how we should, uh, you know, conduct ourselves in worship and, and for the entire church. But that doesn't mean that we can't, um, you know, have certain things on a Sunday morning that aren't necessarily in Scripture. So our, our more stringent regulative principle folks might disagree with that, and but that's fine. But that means, you know, uh, you know, I hate it when I hear people say, oh, we can't do anything except sing hymns. We have to sing hymns. That is remaining faithful. And we at least learn, um, we at least learn in scripture that when they came to uh, the worship service together collectively, what we call a, a corporate praise and worship service, that everyone came with, with uh, psalms, songs, and spiritual songs, and prayers, and a word. So those spiritual songs, many of those can be what we include on Sunday morning. Um, there are certain things that we probably might want to stay aware, away from as far as music's concerned. We want to make sure it's doctri- doctrinally sound, um, but it doesn't necessarily have to be a hymn written back in the 17th century. There's a famous story about how, you know, um, Martin Luther's, uh, one of Martin Luther's hymns was written to the tune of a popular song back in uh, the 1500s. So, um so that that's not necessarily selling out. So the regular principle for those who don't uh, don't know, it's a it comes more from the reformed tradition, uh, but other people practice it as well. It, it essentially says that we will do only what Scripture teaches us or or says that we can do in worship. Um, now I take a modified stance in that. I think it's more of a, it gives us more of a a macro picture instead of a micro pic, pic, picture. So like in a praise and worship service. Uh, there should be a time of prayer. 
There should be a time of confession. There should be a time of uh, preaching and music uh, and, and those types of things. But as far as that goes, and, and I'm also, you know, when it comes to, and this is probably getting too big in the weeds, I, you know, I tend to be a bit more conservative on the second commandment. You know, Justin was privy to a conversation I was having with Tom before here, uh, Tom Lager, who's the uh, editor for Evan Christian Voices. And, uh, you know, I take more of a, I'm very cautious about pictures of Jesus, or not pictures of Jesus, pictures of what people think Jesus looked like uh, back in, in the first century. Um, I can tell you that there's probably, uh, you know, whatever's written or, or, or described um, are extra biblical sources. So um, we have to go off what the Bible teaches us. So um, that's really has nothing to do with what we're supposed to be talking about, but yeah. I'm sorry. It's a pet issue for me. Uh, mostly uh, because uh, I wrote a paper about the same commandment. So uh, if you ever want it, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a funny story about uh, just church size. Um, I have a friend used to be a pastor. And of course, when you get a bunch of pastors in the room, they ask your name. And what's the second question they always ask is how big is your church? And so my, my friend, he's pretty quick. And uh, so he got where people would, other pastors would start asking him that and he would go, Oh, about 17,000 square feet. <laughs> That's good. I, you know, it really comes down to, and I was listening to um, Jeff Vanderstelt who leads uh, Soma Tacoma in Washington. And he was talking about uh, what is crazy is when we talk about how our church is doing, what do we often say? We often talk about what our Sunday worship service is like and what our budgets look like. And, and he said, that has absolutely no bearing on how your church is doing. And I thought, yeah, how our church is doing has more to do with what season of life are our people in. You know, I, I think of my church and how my church is doing. You know, there are a ton of people who have lost someone in the last year or two who are still grieving that, but experiencing God's grace and the grace is found in a biblical community. Um, but we also have, you know, people who are of great joy ushering in new life into the congregation as well through through births and whatnot. So that's more of an indicator of how our church is doing. Moving on, uh, church health is not synonymous with church growth. What do you mean by that, Justin? Well, I think the church growth movement in the 80s, I think a lot of people think, oh, when they talk, hear church health, they think this is a way to make my church grow. And growth is not the ultimate goal of a church health program. Health is. So um, if you look at something like so natural church development, which is something I'm pretty familiar with. And maybe at some point we have a, a chance to talk about, but it is the belief there is, is that growth follows health and, but people often get confused. So they hear about um, any, whatever it is, any kind of church health process or program, whatever you want to call it. And they think, Oh, this is a way to grow our church. Well, if your goal is to grow your church, and that's your ultimate goal, you're probably going to make some mistakes along the way. You're probably going to, that's if that's your ultimate, then you're going to do whatever it takes to get to that. And that may mean, that may mean compromises. That may mean doing some, some quite unhealthy and even unbiblical things to achieve that growth. So when we talk about church health, we mean something different. We, we don't mean so much the 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 metrics the measurements we look at the we're look, talking about underlying causes um so if you think about it in terms of physical health we're talking more about how do you you know how do you, how do you stay healthy internally 
regardless of your weight, regardless of your height, regardless of your age. And so, but oftentimes we just focus on those metrics and, and people get obsessed with let's get the church bigger and bigger and bigger rather than let's focus on getting healthy and just allowing the Lord to bring growth where he will. Yeah. I think a good, uh, a good illustration of that is my wife and I were just on this, uh, diet, uh, called Arbon. uh, and the focus, I, I got on it so I could lose weight. I was about 253. I'm down to 238 now. And uh, that was my main focus. But they say right in the beginning, it's more than just losing pounds or losing inches. It's seeking to get rid of a lot of the toxins that are in your body. And uh, I think that a big part of that is in, or, or a big part of church health isn't the church growth part. But the church growth is going to happen after you get healthy as a church, after you get a lot of the toxins out. So a lot of our a lot of our churches have a lot of undealt with sin, right? We have a lot of junk that is in the heart of our church. And we kind of need, as I was talking with some pastors about this last night, we need a time of public repentance uh, for a lot of us in the church and so that we can all collectively repent and seek the Lord um, moving forward. Uh, and which would which would be helpful. And, and after that, we would see uh, growth, healthy, healthy organisms grow. Uh, do you have anything to say? Well, about I that? just, you know, I think it's a good point. I think what you're describing, though, you know, you're not going to get any book deals or get invited to conferences with that message. Because you think about the guys who are speaking or writing, who are they? Well, they're all guys. Well, I had 12 people in the church when I got here and now I have 15,000 or whatever. And so, and I don't know how much of that is our American kind of Western culture that bigger is always better, mm-hmm. but it, it just, it's a, it, it's a, it's a real danger. and can become a real idol if we're not careful getting bigger rather than focusing on health. If we focus on health, the growth will be what God intends it to be, but we can manufacture growth and think we're doing something good for God. And so we, we just want to be really careful. That's not to say growth is bad. Growth is amazing. I mean, Pentecost, 3000 people in one day, bam. And that, but that was God doing that. And I think you look at somebody like, I mean, some really faithful people. I think it's somebody like Matt Chandler, who's obviously very faithful and has a very large church, but how many thousand other guys are just like Matt Chandler that are just as faithful and their church they have a church of 70 people or 40 people or whatever so I think we worry about health and just trust the Lord for whatever growth he sovereignly chooses to bring I think that's what we've got to remind ourselves of it's it's not about getting bigger it's about being healthier yeah you mentioned Chandler I was watching uh him on YouTube the other day with a TGC interview and uh he was talking about that he's like hey I know why people you know ask me to come to conferences because my church is huge and uh, he's like, you know, there are plenty of brothers out there who remain faithful in their churches, 25, 40 people. And I don't want to be discouragement to them. And, and that's really encouraging because um, a lot of our churches, like you said, less than 50 people is, are, is about half of our churches in the denomination. You know, last year I took a, I took a class on Gordon, at Gordon-Conwell on church revitalization. And one of the stats that really stuck out to me was that many church health experts, including the professors I had, suggest that churches who have plateaued or declined in attendance for three straight years are in need of revitalization. I would say, Justin, that is, and you would know the stats more than I do, that's at least 90%, if not more, of our churches. 
Yeah, I think right now uh, you, when you say our churches, I assume you mean Advent Christian churches in the in in North America or United States and Canada. Uh, yeah, no, I think it's it's around eighty five to ninety percent of our okay. churches are, are are in that in that uh, place right now, based based on the the records that we get here. Uh, we know for certain that forty eight percent are in a in a declined. A declining position, um, so that's almost half. And and we kind of look at some other things. And if we just only look, so this is probably something to talk about at a different time. But there's really one real, the most meaningful metric, numeric metric in your church is worship attendance. It's not membership. Membership is basically meaningless now because so many churches have membership roles that are just bloated with people who are no longer attend or you know are dead or all kinds of different things but um, worship attendance is actually the key metric you want to look at and and so that's the one you really want to watch over that over that time period and you do need at least three years to see a trend uh, three to five years is, is ideally what you want to look at to determine your trend line because you occasionally you can have dips for whatever reason, you know, a single year, but you, you do need that trend line. So don't panic from one year to the next, but you look at it over a period of time. And, and I think that's, that's correct. Yeah. I, I want to make a distinction here. It isn't due to declining attendance that you need revitalization, but declining attendance is an indicator or indication of an unhealthy church. So, like when I was in the intelligence community, uh, when I was in the army, we had these uh, things called indicators and they indicate uh, once you have a certain number of indicators, they kind of say, yeah, this is probably happening. So we're only using attendance and saying that it is an indicator, maybe the most uh, the most important indicator, uh, the most indicative of indicators. Uh, but you could have declining attendance, but maybe what happened is you really tried to usher in a biblical understanding of, of leadership and, and trying to get back to the basics. Maybe there was a lot of golden cows uh, in, in your church that you've been trying to get rid of, a lot of idolatry, and that's seen a lot of people leave. Um, that might be that might be an indication that you're actually leading towards a healthier church. And uh, so I'll leave Leave right. Well, that's what that's why you don't want to make your attendance an absolute metric. You know, say this is the comprehensive metric and we're going to base our healthiness on this one metric. It is is it's one metric and it's a helpful metric, but it's not the ultimate metric. Right. So we just want to be careful with that. And, and so that's basically I'll just follow up on that. Yeah. And you and uh, going to our fourth question, which I think leads into this, you need a standard by which to measure health. What's that standard for you, Justin? Well, I think it can be different things. We here we use we use natural church development, which uh, takes is is based on a survey. It was the most comprehensive church health research done thus far as over twenty years ago. A German guy named Christian Swartz. Uh, it was originally a thousand churches uh, in thirty two countries. Today, it's um, w well more, and it's been used on every con every inhabited continent in the world today. Um, and so it's proven it's metal. And basically what he went in and did is he looked for, he said, I want to know what makes a church healthy regardless of context. Mm -hmm. He says, I want to know what principles make a healthy church. And so he did some research and he created this survey that uh, up to 30 people in the church take, and it is able to take their subjective 
perceptions of things and boil them down and give you some quantifiable objective metrics. And he comes, natural church development comes out with what they call the eight quality characteristics. Now there, there are other things out there as well. I mean, I know you're a fan of nine marks. And so there's the nine marks of a healthy church with nine marks. Uh, Steve Machia has something um, church health assessment tool, which I think has uh, 10 different characteristics. So, there's it doesn't to me depend on I don't care what you use so much just as long as you have a standard I mean you need a ruler you know need to know how much uh, an inch is right I mean you don't need to be it, need, it doesn't need to be gone and and you need it over time because the first time you do some sort whatever it is however you measure the health of your church initially you need to think of that as a baseline I think a lot of people measure church health and they go they oh man we're terribly unhealthy and they get very discouraged you shouldn't think of it that way think of it as a baseline this is where we are now how do we get better and then that baseline is always your reference point to which direction you're moving in and how you're improving but without clear metrics objective metrics to guide you then i think that's very difficult and that's why i'm an advocate for something like natural church development or nine marks or something to where you have agreed upon set of standards that you're measuring the health of the church by that's what i'm looking for otherwise it's just guesswork yeah, I, I totally agree. And I'm going through the natural church development stuff now so that I can be more familiar with it because uh, I know you're a fan of it. And I know you're familiar with Nine Marks. And, and I'm a fan of that, which is uh, which is written by Mark Dever and, and some people on staff at his church. Uh, and, and I'll just share the Nine Marks with, with uh, the audience. And I think that they'll find it helpful. Um, but essentially, to explain the Nine Marks, these are nine things that Mark Dever sees scripturally that says these are marks of what a healthy church looks like. Uh, So uh, starting off, there's expository preaching. There's biblical theology. uh, There's the gospel, biblical conversion, biblical evangelism, biblical church membership, biblical church discipline, uh, discipleship or desire for discipleship and biblical leadership. Um, Those are nine different marks uh, that he writes about in his book. I encourage our, our listeners to, to pick it up. It's a terrific book and, and go through it with their leadership and whatnot. Um, I've read other church health books, such as Andy Stanley's Deep and Wide um, and a whole number of other things. Uh, some of those things, you know, uh, I know Andy Stanley can be quite the controversial figure. There are probably some aspects of what he shares in his book, Deep and Wide, that are, that are good and helpful. But ultimately, um, we, we can take the good with the bad as well. We don't have to buy into everything. But I find Dever's book, Nine Marks, to be really helpful and biblically based and, um, and, and a good, uh, good launching point. So lastly, our last question is every church has some unhealth. What do you yeah. say about that? Well, I just, no church is perfect. And even healthy churches can get healthier. Mm-hmm. And and that's basically all I'm saying. I think there is a a point at which people can come to where they say, oh, we're doing good. And it can can put you in a place of, of complacency and apathy if you're not careful and allows unhealth to creep in. I think really healthy ministries are constantly evaluating and assessing what can we do better? Uh, are we continuing to do well where we're called to, to, to be good stewards? And so I think it's this sort of eternal vigilance that's required of every church. Uh, they, you know, a kind of an analogy that I can think of a little bit, it's maybe not the best, but I think of one of the things they talk about about great leaders, whether it's you know politically or corporately or whatever, 
um, as leaders are learners, right? So leaders are constantly learning to improve themselves. And I think it's true in every church, regardless of how healthy your church is, you need to be moving forward all the time because no church has arrived. It doesn't matter the church. So I, that's the point there that you want to be constantly vigilant to make sure that you're working to improve yourself, that you're constantly seeking the Lord and his guidance and his wisdom to figure out how to, uh, whether it's adapt or maybe repent, that you just want to make sure that you are continually moving forward to go healthier and not grow complacent when things are going really well. Because I've seen situations where churches go from unhealthy to healthy, things are going really well, and they just kind of kick back. Mm-hmm. And, and then unhealth creeps in. It's actually worse later than it was before. Yeah, it's kind of like the married couple that comes in for counseling and they're on the verge of divorce. And they are looking for their marriage to go from bad to OK. And I always try and tell people that you're looking to go not just from bad to OK, but you want to go from OK to good and then good to great. And that's only going to happen as we chase after Christ collectively in our marriages, just like in a church. If things are bad, you don't want to just make them OK. You want to get to a place where you're continually moving forward. And I love how you mentioned reading books. Uh, if you are a pastor, an elder, or in some form of church leadership out there and you're listening to this podcast, pick up a darn book. Read. I love that that's on our ministerial reports that we turn in every every year. And we write down different books that we've read that we would recommend to other folks. Um, because even even read things that you disagree, that you might disagree with. If you're a Calvinist, don't just read Calvinist material. If you're Arminian, don't read just Arminian material. Um, be readers and learners, uh, listen to podcasts, listen to um, YouTube videos and and whatnot, but not just leaders, but also people in the church that they can be exposed to those things. Um, If you're a pastor or an elder, try and get a book allowance and give books away to people within your congregation. I've started giving books away in my congregation to people on church health, but also membership, like how to grow spiritually that might might could be challenging and whatnot. Um. So it's very important. It's very important to always be. um, uh, So this, you know, um, I recently read that a lot of pastors actually only share, only read the Bible uh, and and read nothing else. Listen, I I forget who said this. It was someone, uh, maybe it was Spurgeon, because I I like to read a lot of stuff from him. But he says, you should live in the Bible in vacation in other places when it comes to reading. Absolutely. The Bible is, is our complete standard faith uh, or, or practice for faith. Um, and it is the revealed knowledge to us uh, of God and who he is and how our world functions and, and whatnot. But, oh, my goodness, there are so many people smarter than us who have come before us, like like Spurgeon, Luther, Calvin, Augustine, you know, uh, Edwards, Martin Lloyd-Jones, Read these guys and learn what they have to say, because although the times have changed for the last you know, couple of centuries, a lot of the principles are still the same. Read. Listen to other people. If we think that, you know, we're the smartest guy in the room, we're not. Uh, there's always somebody smarter, which is why I have Justin here, uh, because he's a lot smarter than I am. So uh, for, you know, with a couple of comments that I have about the unhealth of the church, uh, I think a lot of it is due to the nature of our fallen world. 
no one in nothing, nothing is without sin. There's always going to be an element of unhealth in our churches. Uh, we're simultaneously saints and sinners. So uh, although we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ's blood and we're washed by him, uh, we still have this sin nature that, that is in battle with this new nature. And we still have sin that is in our lives, just as the church has still sin in its lives, though it's clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is sanctifying his people, which sanctification is a process. And church health is likewise a process rooted in Christ, washing us with his blood. We're about out of time. Justin, do you have any closing comments? Uh, nope, nope. Uh, this was exciting. I appreciate it. Hopefully, hopefully this stuff was helpful. Yeah, I hope so too. All right, everybody. God bless, and we hope to see you next time.